I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who love the smell of shellac in the morning. Mark, Shannon, and Mad. All right. Welcome to Wood Talk, everybody. It's episode number 470 for May 12th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about cutting boards. Cutting boards. Everyone likes a cutting board, right? Uh, Sure. Right? Okay. (laughs) Before we get to all that... I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out the spring stock up sale. The sale runs through May 28th, so don't miss it. Woo! And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank Douglas McFarlane, Stump, and then Stumptown Woodworks. Uh cool it's a good weird coincidence is that is that a coincidence or is that in there to like no it's two different people one's name was stump and the other of course we know him from he probably supports everybody here stump <laughs> okay. all right brian battiglia steve scholar and stefan moser jamoser or silent g i don't know i think, I think it would be silent silent g moser okay there you go. Stefan right. G. Moser. Good stuff. It's really formal. G. Moser. G. Moser. Stefan G. Moser. That's what, if that was my name, that's how I would pronounce <laughs> it. G. Moser. Anyway, all right, well, let's get to what's on the bench. It's been a little while. I actually just finished up a big green egg table, which is uh, a super fun thing to make. Um, I little history behind this. So I'm a big barbecue nut. A lot of people probably know that. And I've got uh, Kamado grills. I've got like a regular gas grill. Um, I just love cooking out there. Uh, Matt was here and I absolutely <laughs> destroyed some salmon. Yeah, you did a great job on that one. We, we were <laughs> going to do a live booster. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to do a live show and I'm trying to cook this salmon and get it done in time so that we could eat and do this live thing. And it just, the timing wasn't working. So I cranked the heat a little bit. Then I got distracted with the, with the live setup in the shop and I came back and that salmon looked like charcoal. <laughs> 
It was so bad, and we ate it anyway. Still ate it, yeah. <laughs> That's proof that if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. <laughs> you need, yeah, you like, need an au jus sauce on do... the side to dip it in, just to rehydrate it. Oh, my God. Well, no, yeah. it's saliva, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it immediately, you put it in your mouth, and your mouth is just totally dry <laughs> at that point. It just sucks all the moisture out. So anyway, I'm a big fan of this stuff. I went to a, um, a demonstration, uh, and there was a, a big green egg representative there. Uh, cause they were sponsoring the event and I looked at Nicole and I was like, I wonder if I can get a free big green egg. <laughs> it just, it was just something that came into my mind cause I thought it would be funny, but I'm like, wait a minute. Now this thing actually has legs because I can make a, a really cool table. It would make a great project. This is uh, probably a category that they don't normally advertise within, you know, cause it's not like we're, we're about woodworking. We're not about cooking necessarily. So uh, I approached them. They said, yes. And here we are now, months later, building a big green egg table, and I'm so stoked about it. Uh, this this big green egg is massive. It was bigger than I thought it was going to be, uh, but the, the, the table for it was uh, it was super fun to build. It was at a Sapelli, um, and uh, just had a good time making it. And it's it's one of those projects though that I think that's an abuse of power. You think so? I wonder if I can get one of these free. Kind of strut up. Do you know who I am? <laughs> hey. I'm an influencer. I was like, hey, I'm an influencer. Here's my card. Actually, just check my IG account. <laughs> T- check me out on TikTok. <laughs> okay. But no, seriously, uh, super fun project. But it's one of those things where they they do give dimensions on their website. And there's like two PDFs that they provide. If you're going to build a table, here's how high it needs to be. Because think about it. The, the big green egg is kind of egg-shaped. And you want to make sure that the lid is above the surface. There's a hinge on the back. So all of this stuff, especially when you cut a hole for this thing to drop into, very exact measurements. And if you're slightly off, then you've got the wood too close to the grill or you've got the hinge scratching on the back of the tabletop. So I'm building this thing purely on spec, like based on what they have in their documentation. And I saw some conflicting info because I found two documents. So this whole time, even though I took those measurements. I went to this thing, tried to get the best I could uh, an idea for whether these numbers were right. Seemed like they would be okay, but I kind of blindly went into it just hoping that in the end, when I drop this thing <laughs> I, in I there, this. <laughs> when I, this better be right. Because if it's not, somebody's going to, you know, heads will roll. Uh, but it, thankfully it was all correct and it dropped in just fine. And uh, it's doing and great. If it, didn't, great feeling. if it didn't just heat it up and let it burn its way through. <laughs> yeah, eventually it'll Perfect find fit. its way through the hole, right? <laughs> but yeah, so it's, you know, it's pretty cool. It is one of those things, a little bit of liability you take on with something like this because you're putting a hot grill in a piece of wood. Uh, you know, you do have to be smart about it. Uh, thankfully, the big green egg has a screen on the bottom. So the vent, the air intake, uh, sometimes the, the coals can kind of spark and pop and you might get just a little tiny piece that comes out. And if that drops on the wood, you know, you could have some problems. Um, so theirs actually has this nice little metal screen that you could slide. So it still gets airflow, but blocks sparks and, and charcoal from coming out. Uh, but so far so good. It's mobile. Um, well, I can also is, tell you, you know, super sturdy. having tried to actually burn Sapelia offcuts in my fireplace, <laughs> it's hard. So you oh, chose really? a good wood because that stuff does oh, that's not, good I mean, it know. burns no doubt. And when it does catch like one log will heat your house for the next seven years. I mean, this stuff is so hot okay. once it starts burning. Yeah. Um, so, it, so it's not going to go up like a, you know, dry. Pine no, or no, definitely or not. It definitely is. Uh, I don't think it has a fire rating on it at all. No one's even bothered to, to test it, but it would probably show up somewhere on a fire rating scale. The stuff does not burn easily. 
Interesting. That's good yeah, to don't, know. Don't save wow, your off cuts a, for the fireplace because you will literally like turn your house into a sweat lodge. It'll be so hot once it's <laughs> in the morning. It'll be bad news since I have gas fireplaces. Yeah, that but, too. Uh, Definitely don't throw logs on the That might gas be problematic. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I'm excited about it. It's, you know, even though everything is really weird right now with, you know, being locked down uh, and meat is kind of hard to get in some places. It's like, uh, it's still <laughs> that's spring. A, that's a good point. <laughs> right. Yeah. I even said that at the end of the video, I was like, you know, good luck, you know, with your grilling season, if you could find meat. And I had a couple of, uh, at least one, one or two comments where someone's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, <laughs> what do you, I don't know if you heard, I, I know the, the media is not talking about it much, but there's this pandemic thing that's happening. And apparently it's caused the meat shortage, but uh, yeah, so it, it's just weird though with all this going on. It's like, well, spring is still happening, summer is still happening. Like we have to try, you know, even with the kids, try to maintain some feeling of normalcy of things we would normally do around this time of year. But it's it's definitely a very weird time because of everything that's See, going on. See, now I propose like a director's cut uh, re-release of that video, and then when you say you know if you have trouble getting meat, you can have like Ava run by with like a bow and arrow in the background. <laughs> chasing chasing Dougie. Yes. <laughs> hey, you know, you get what when times are desperate, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, and Millie doesn't have much yeah. meat on her, so Dougie, sorry. Uh-uh. Nah. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Well, the funny thing is I don't think this video will age well with that. Like five years from now. I mean, who knows what's gonna happen, but five years from now, people will be like, What is he talking about if you can find meat? Like, why? <laughs> And then they'll go, oh, this, this day in history. Okay, oh, now we live through COVID. Uh, so anyway, that's me. Shannon, what about you? I just last night actually cut a three-way miter joint, whatever the Kanetsugi, whatever Japanese joint cool thing. Um, sure. And actually, I say last night I cut it, and I actually had to finish it this morning. Um, I do this every now and then in the Hintel School where I'll kind of choose just a weird, really complex joint and cut it for the very first time, like, let's do this live. Never done this before. And the idea is, you know, yes, it's a complex joint, but any complex joint can be broken down into really a series of tenon cheek cuts, you know, and some chisels here and there. And, you know, it, you don't have to get so overwhelmed by it, <clears throat> but it's also, <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest, it takes the pressure off me because I've told everybody, look, I've never cut this before. So this could go horribly <laughs> yeah. wrong, you know, yeah. and here's the excuse yeah, right. why. And so far, knock on wood, Nothing has ever gone horribly wrong, but you know, you end up with a joint that, eh, okay, that three mortise could have been a little bit tighter or whatever, but you, you demonstrate kind of how to break down the joint. And I got to say, I horribly, uh, under budgeted how long it would take to cut this thing. I got about <laughs> two thirds of the way through and you know, you're talking most of it. The, the session was talking about layout and I had a SketchUp model there as like a visual aid to show the layout and everything. And there's just like, this joint is if it were to take two hours to cut it, it's like an hour and 45 minutes of layout <laughs> and 15 minutes of song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I managed to get two thirds of it done and then I cut the rest of it this morning and recorded it and we'll splice it in later, but really cool joint. Like, wow. <laughs> and in one of those, I've cut several of these Japanese joints before and it's like, hey, that's pretty neat. I'll never use that ever again. This one, I could see. <laughs> it's just so cool when it comes together. So I'm I'm yeah. already started playing with kind of a table design, and I think that'll probably come to light in the the probably the next six months or so using this joint. Of course, now if I do that, now I've got four of them instead of just the one. So <laughs> that'll be so uh, scheduling. Yeah, weeks, exactly. So you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That that's yeah, that's all that's on my bench right now. It's cool. That's that's brave though. 
I mean, I, even if you give the disclaimer that this is your first time, people are expecting a certain level of competence that you're at least going to get a serviceable joint when it's done. But as we know, sometimes, sometimes that doesn't happen. What do you mean? So, I mean, it is, it is kind of risky doing these things for the first time. It's uh, a serviceable joint. It may not be as pretty as some yeah. of the others, but it's load bearing. None of the, <laughs> none of the ends come together, but you know, yeah. it's fine. Well, and that's the other thing about well, this joint the, is it's kind of like, um, like a half blind dovetail, you know, so much of the joint mm-hmm. is not seen. So really all you have to do is sure. just have that little edge of the tails fit nicely. And the rest of it could just be, you know, chewed like a, by a dog underneath and it doesn't really matter. Right. So all of the, the chiseling out the inner part, especially the vertical member of this, that has, that's the hardest one to do. It's got two tenons projecting out of it and kind of this mitered shell that's hollowed out that the other parts have nest into. And you know, mm-hmm. if necessary, you can undercut the crap out of that so that stuff fits together. Sure. And when you do assemble it, um, the, the idea, at least I discovered is don't necessarily saw right along the mitered lines and assemble it and see where you need to do a little bit of pairing here and there. And you can get the miters mm-hmm. to line up perfectly. It may just have some dead spots inside. So just use epoxy when you glue it up. You'll be fine. I was just going to say, inject epoxy in there. You'll be fine. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Make it heavier too. Epoxy solves all problems. It does. It really does. It causes all problems. <laughs> There's that. Uh, so, so Matt, tell me about these chairs, man. Ah, so I, I have been working on sort of a little product launch thing that I've been kind of behind the scenes working on for a long, long time. So I am coming out with uh, basically like a, like a kit chair, like a pre-made prefab parts for a chair sure. or chairs, I guess. Um, one of the things that I have observed over my many years in this industry like that. Very good, huh? Yeah. Old man. Yeah. 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 Old yeah. man Cremona yeah, over yeah, here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Is that a lot of people make tables, but, uh, not many people go though, you know, the full way and go ahead and make chairs. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. people like if they're making like like my farmhouse table, that's got benches, which are just small tables, you know? Right. So I see a lot of people that don't necessarily make the chairs. Then I, I totally understand why too. It's they're complicated. If you design your own, it's like I designed this chair. God, I hope it's comfortable and you know, <laughs> it doesn't like suck to sit in. So there's yeah. that side of things too. Plus there's a lot of weird stuff going on with chairs too. Like if you're going to have a comfortable chair, it's probably going to have some kind of angle joinery in it and it's probably going to have some curbs. Um, so I, I can see why people kind of shy away from it. So I wanted to find some way to allow people to experience the chair making kind of uh, experience without totally jumping in the deep end and trying to make all these parts individually. So I found a supplier that's actually able to provide me all the pieces all ready to go. All the curved parts are steam bent. Um, and it's got all the joinery cut and ready to go. So all you have to do when you get it is do your edge treatment, whatever you want to do there, do your finish sanding, apply your finish and glue it together. And then you got yourself a chair. So Wow. Wow. So did you design these? They are not my design. No, no they're from the, the supplier has a bunch of different designs. So uh, if you ever wonder like where the heck all these restaurants get their bajillion chairs from, there's like yeah. factories that just make chairs. Yeah. Right. Right. So this is basically parts that come off of an assembly line for, I guess, the restaurant industry, which is kind of an interesting timing because, you know, restaurants are really buying chairs right now. Huh. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Very good> point. <clears throat> yeah. That, that, if you can't uh, put a butt in it, there's no reason to buy more. I didn't, I didn't plan that. But <laughs> just kind of interesting how that timeline kind of overlapped, I guess. Is this a, yeah. is this a local supplier to you? 
Local to me, yeah. Okay. I'm just wondering. I probably supply lumber to them. <laughs> just that, that's become How, a, a big um, business of ours. Um, we used to do a lot of stuff kind of direct to the restaurants, and now we're doing a lot of supplying to these restaurant supplier companies building higher hmm. quality chairs. It's very cool. Yeah. Did you get pricing worked out yet? Uh, I don't. I'm not ready to comment on an official price for anything yet, but okay. the pricing models have most of them depending on, it's going to depend on the style. The more complex, more expensive ones are going to cost more, obviously, uh, the species <laughs> and then the number of chairs you actually order. But most of the, the, the chairs will come in at uh, somewhere between two and $300 each. Nice. Depending on okay. those three things. It's interesting. That's cool, though. And I, and I think you're right. You're absolutely right. I did design a chair and then had to build a whole set. And it sucks. <laughs> well, there's a lot of if you do like one chair. OK, cool. But then can you imagine yeah. like how many parts for like six chairs yeah. and just even finishing six? You, chairs. you need a blacker <laughs> house it's, chair set, Mark. You know, you know, that's oh, what's missing no. in your life. <laughs> if you get me like a Star Trek replicator that I can take, <laughs> I'll take I'll take five blacker house chairs to match the one I already have chair. Then blacker we're house. talking. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah too. i mean the, the amount of detail well the funny thing about chairs too and what's what i think people might realize as they get into chair making and um you know you're talking about the comfort thing a lot of this stuff has already been worked out so human bodies don't change that much right so what's comfortable is kind of i'm not gonna say it's in stone but they're they're, they're like new ideas don't always necessarily translate to something comfortable uh making a chair that just looks super cool may not feel good. <laughs> so it's like the whole chair thing has kind of been worked out. So when you get into chair making and you start making all these wacky decisions to make something that looks like nothing anyone has ever made before, if no one's ever made it before, there's probably a reason. I mean, you <laughs> they, can make a they chair. They did, and it's in the burn pile. <laughs> yeah. You, but, but that's the one thing. Like, uh, I always think about this with, um, you know, design. And I, I had actually judged a, um, a woodworking competition thing one time. And there was this amazing awesome, crazy chair that was just gorgeous. And then I sat in it and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, so how, how do you judge a piece of functional furniture like that? That is so gorgeous and so amazingly well-crafted, but fails in its actual purpose. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can sit in it, but it's completely uncomfortable and you wouldn't want to spend more than two minutes in yeah, it. My mother-in-law uh, has one of those that, That's a. Really? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a chair for the throw pillow. More than anything else. It looks okay. really cool sure. in the Just the pillow. And yeah. yeah. See, now if I had an office, it, and like one of those offices with like desks, or like a big desk and there's chairs in front of it, and I didn't want people to spend much time there, <laughs> there that's go. when I would yep. get a very uncomfortable chair. Nice. Yep. And like, yeah, here, take a seat. And then like they want to go two seconds later. I'm like, okay, perfect. They're, they're squirming immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, that's awesome. I'm excited to see this. Uh, I did put a chair kit together once. It was a Windsor chair kit. Yeah, that was a and, long time ago. Uh-huh. That was a fun project. I still have that chair. In fact, it, it's come back to me when my mom moved. So I've got that <laughs> chair in my possession now, and it's great. Yeah, it's, actually, it's, it's actually a really good idea to kind of a, a, a half step into chair making or a full step into chair making. Mm -hmm. Seeing how it goes together and actually putting it together can really help you understand the complex joinery and everything. So yeah, I it's, think, I think it's it really, totally. it really demystifies things yeah. quite a bit. You're like, Oh mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I don't know how I would cut that right now, but at least I know like how it's supposed to go together, I guess. Yeah. Right. You can see, well, even sometimes with a curved part that has a tenon, knowing how that tenon was made and actually looking at it in relation to the part. Normally that tenon tenon is secured inside a mortise. You can't see where it goes. 
but seeing the angle of the tenon can clue you in on how it might have been cut. You know, so I think seeing this thing apart is incredibly valuable. Um, send me one so I can make a, a guild project about it and, and make money off of it. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Fine, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so is this going to totally be it's like new- a big thing on your website? Like Mac, Mac Cremona chairs? And I, I, don't, people- I don't know exactly how the brand is going to go yet, but I'm going to launch yeah. it through my, whatever you want to call it, brand, umbrella. I don't yeah. know. I'm going to start. So I'm launching with uh, like a pre-order type of dealy thing. Okay. Uh, so the number of, I have, I have started with four styles and there's like three species in each. So that's uh, a lot of skews. So I'm probably going to pare it down based on what people actually buy and like. Yeah. Uh, based off of that pre-order sale thing too. And that'll also help me to work through the entire like fulfillment process and making mm-hmm. sure my education is like good enough for people. So that's yeah. what I've been doing this last week is just shooting videos on the assembly of each chair style. Because mm-hmm. there's, I mean, you, once you do one, it's not too bad, but there's a lot of like little nuance, like little things you want to think about and consider. And, and um, also trying to figure out like what, what's the skill level that I'm trying to pitch this at. So sure. my initial thought for that would be like someone that has at least some woodworking experience. Because <laughs> the, the main thing here is like, can you finish prep and finish? That, that's the mm-hmm. real woodworking side of this. There's not a whole lot of like, I don't know, cutting wood sure, parts right. of this, but if you can't apply a finish well, I mean, it's probably not going to go so well for you, but I don't know. <laughs> so, there's a, there's, what I'm saying is a lot of unknowns, and I'm working yeah. through it. Well, that's cool, though. Well, it's I mean, a neat idea. Logistics I, I and fulfillment, you, you already have this Bagnolo model. Just, just get family to do it. You know, oh, yeah. what's your mom I mean, doing? That's, I already your told, mom can pack I already boxes. told Lindsay. Well, it's, the, the hard part, too, is like, okay, so now we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, I can't, like, do I, like, risk, risk my parents' lives coming up here to package chairs? Right. Or do yes. I just have my, my wife take it? Okay. It's business. All right, well, I know. Man. Yes, it's fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. essential <laughs> business. Get to work. All right, I'll remember that. <laughs> Oh man, that's cool! I can't wait to see this uh, come to fruition. Uh, keep us updated. I will. Matt Chairmona. Let everybody know when you can go get your get. Yeah, Chairmona. Chairmona. Slap, Chairmona. slap your cheeks into a Chairmona. <laughs> that's the new brand. Chairmona. That'll be your, your tagline. All right. Well, we haven't done uh, we haven't done one of these in a while. Shannon's lumber. That's so nice. Right. So lovely. Give it to us, Shannon. So COVID is causing all kinds of problems with the sawmill industry. Uh, While sawmills remain classified as essential businesses, many of them are are, um, really mom and pop organizations. And Mark, you're actually in this situation right now where you have a family member that works for you, but, you know, for safety and health reasons, he doesn't come to work. And this is the yep. same type of situation where you've got an operation that's run by basically three people. And those three people now can't see one another anymore. So there's like, maybe there's a guy who lives above the sawmill or has, you know, the, the property is his. So there's just one guy trying to run that sawmill. And that's really thrown off. Clothes are done. Yeah. Dryer's done. That again? <laughs> again this week? Is Saturday's laundry day or what? Wait a minute. Again this week? Is it a rarity? Do you just wash clothes once a week, I guess? 
Right, right. Well, on the weekend, no, think, first thing in the morning, the, someone had to come down here and put clothes in the dryer first thing in the morning. Well, Lindsay's on top of it, man. She's got to get things Seriously. done. She knew she's got I'm, chairs to pack I today. I talk to her. She's, like, <laughs> she's got chairs She to knows pack. I'm recording down here. <laughs> she knows what she's got to do this afternoon. She's got to get it done. Uh, she's right. It is Mother's Day tomorrow. So <laughs> That's right. I'll let it, this one I'll let fly. Never again, though. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I'm sorry, right. Shannon. Back to the sawmills. <laughs> So the, 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 the long story short on this is so many sawmills are essentially shut down now because they just, they, they don't have the workers, you know, and they're used to working with a crew of three, four or five people. But most of the sawmills we still find are these kind of small operations that are producing this lumber. So what's happened is while they've shut down these urban logging guys that kind of come in and take down trees or are a tree removal company, or at least they buy logs from the tree removal they are actually taking back market share. Another another round of clothes are done. That's the buzzer saying, go take back the market share. So urban logging just, is actually taking a larger percentage of the overall market than it had just like a month ago. And what that mm-hmm. means is from a domestic perspective, we're seeing more of these unusual species that we don't normally see showing up in lumber yards. So you might actually start to find things like sycamore more readily available and sassafras and dogwood and stuff like that because the normal sources that the lumber yards are buying from, they're kind of like, well, we'll get it for you. You know, it may just take us eight months to develop that order. So they're, they're bringing in new stuff just to have stock on the shelves. And uh, turns out people like it. And granted, there's not a whole lot of people out shopping at lumber yards right now, but uh, still. Um, so what I want to do on the official is this the official lumber update show? This is this is the, the show that birthed the original. The, yeah, the original. There we go. Um, <laughs> on this show, I wanted to kind of throw a call out to people saying, um, "Who who is an urban logger that you have worked with, or an urban logging company that you know of? I'd love to know about them because I'd love to get them on the lumber update to talk a little bit about how this market develops." So. Uh, those of you listening to this, contact me at lumberupdate at gmail.com and let me know name of a company. If you've got a contact, great. If not, I'll dig it up. But definitely want to get some of these guys on the show and talk about it because it's now is the time. And I'm really excited because there's some really cool lumber species out there that I just never see working kind of more in the commercial side of things. And it would be great to see more and more of that kind of getting injected into the a wider market as compared to just a little niche market. Mm-hmm. So urban loggers, um, let me know. Let me know who they are. Um, if you've got any particular in mind, send them my way. I know one. Oh, yeah? He's on the well, show. Yeah, I thought about that. <clears throat> yeah. he's, he's, con- he's converted to making chairs now, yeah. so <laughs> so much for that. Uh, all right. Well, uh, <clears throat> Matt, you want to get the clothes out of the dryer, or can we continue with the show? I ain't getting those clothes up. Well, how many times does it beep before it just stops? It's done now. It's okay. Uh, I, some yeah. dryers can be really annoying about that. Come empty me. <laughs> right. <laughs> get these things out of me. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our main topic today. Um, it's really about cutting boards. We're going to go into some of the really just our opinions about how, how <laughs> cutting this boards, all this our opinions. Yeah, but sometimes when you present it in a certain way, it kind of comes across as fact. And when it comes to food safeness and things like that, there's a lot of oh, uh, there's a lot of room doing, for we're opinions. doing that again. Yes, oh. uh, but we're going to get into that stuff. But the reason this kind of came about was because Matt did his crazy, you know, wacky cutting boards recently and uh, noticed 
that they're popular. He <laughs> noticed that that they got a lot of attention for him, and it kind of got him going. Like, why, why, why are these things so popular? So, Matt, I'll let you let you kick it off because uh, it's your fault. We're talking about it. I just, I think you said it best. Why are they so popular? Why do people get so excited about cutting boards? I don't even understand why. Like, it's not that exciting. But like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because I've made so damn many of them, or it's just like it's not that exciting anymore. But just yeah. like there is like just skill and nuance to making them. Don't get me wrong, but there is not. That's not. A, it's not really skillful to make one of these things. It's not hard. Yeah. It's tedious. It ain't hard. There's no like real skill involved. So when you say popular, what are you saying? I'm saying like everyone and their mom likes my posts and like tells me how much I like cutting boards. And mm-hmm. I don't know. The, the engagement factor on a cutting board is like miles above a piece of furniture that actually takes like, I don't know. Again, I don't, mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but it takes actual skill to make. Whoa. I know. Ouch. I mean, and, I know. And that's probably the key Yowza. right there. They're very approachable. Anyone can look at that and I go, I think, yeah, because a lot of people. That a lot of people have either made them or can see themselves making one and have an opinion on it because they've gone through the process. Oh, yeah. So I would have to imagine that's what it is. It's a, it's a lot like what the reason why I don't post about electrical work. I don't post about <laughs> DIY, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, repairing walls and those DIY projects. If you post those publicly, there are a lot of people who think they know about those things and want to interact with you and tell you you're wrong. Uh, I imagine to some extent cutting boards are like that. Everyone has either made one, interacted with one. They certainly know what one is. <laughs> They've interacted <laughs> with one. <laughs> I have seen a cutting board and I have interacted with it. So, I mean, every everybody and their uncle has an opinion on cutting boards, right? I so, guess, but I, I get it must just be because like I spend so much time in the space where it's like it doesn't feel like it feels overdone to me. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I guess from the perspective of like an everyday person, it's something you can actually see like. Oh, I could put that in my home or sure. maybe they think it might be affordable, which mm, okay. they're, they're probably wrong. <laughs> Depending on who you buy it from, <laughs> from Ikea. Sure. It's definitely affordable. Uh, yeah. I mean, like the people are thinking like the, the boards I were making were like 50 bucks. I'm like, you, I, I, I don't even think you can even like make one for 50 bucks. It is amazing how much time you can sink into one of those things. You know, even if you're batching them out and you're making a dozen of them, it's still very time consuming. It's hard to justify selling them any basic cutting board for less than a hundred hundred dollars. I mean, unless you just don't value your time. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a lot that's of another problem glue. for another day with a lot of people. Yeah. All right. So that's why we're talking about it. But let's get to some of the basics here. Um, I'm going to go to our, our, our resident, a resident wood expert, uh, Shannon. What, what do you what do you think in terms of woods to avoid? And woods to use. I think woods to avoid might be the more pressing thing. If there's anything specifically that could yeah. be downright dangerous for someone to use in a cutting Well, a, not really a dangerous thing, but I think softwoods in general, probably just not a good idea because they're mm-hmm. soft. Um, granted, not all softwoods are soft, but for the most part, they're softer than hardwoods. And I just don't think from a durability perspective, that's going to do real well. Um, yeah. Danger wise, like a lot of the exotics, you kind of have to, you know, Cocoa Below particularly is very reactive to a lot of things. But I wonder once finish and all that stuff is put on top of it and, you know, you're dealing with such a small amount of wood. I don't know. Um, I, I, it's, 
The minute I say I avoid this wood because it could be dangerous and cause reactions is the minute someone's going to say, yeah, but there's finish over top of it, kind of sealing that in. So uh, I don't even know that I would say there's so many different woods that you would avoid. The nut allergy thing is something you have to think about, like walnut in particular, if you're using pecan, stuff like that. Um, the oils that come out of it could cause cross-contamination, so heavily resinous and oily woods. Good news is, is the heavily resinous ones also tend to be softwoods. Um, the really, really oily yeah. ones, your exotic jungle woods, yeah, they can pose a problem. Um, but unless you're making the entire cutting board out of it, you know, <laughs> um, and I'm also. Yeah, because that's what happens, right? A lot of times it's just a couple of pieces in this mix of right, woods. Yeah, and especially in the ingrain cutting boards. Um, so much of those extractives, frankly, have drained out because you're using such a tiny cross section and you've exposed, you know, what the typical cutting board will say, cutting board is an inch thick, right? So if, you, if it's an ingrain cutting board, you've got an inch long bit of straw, you know, from that, that board. Mm. So, so much of the, the volatiles have actually left the board um, already. So I, I would be hesitant to say that it's something, you know, just don't worry about it. No, I wouldn't go that far, but I think it's overstated on how some of those, uh, resinous, um, really oily exotics could actually pose a bit of a problem. So I, I don't know if you're worried about it, stick with domestics. <laughs> this is, this is one it of those like things where the, I'm almost afraid one. to say it because people are going to jump all over for me, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I just think, I think the fear, the food safe fear sometimes is a bit overstated. You know, I mean, there are certainly food safe finishes, but also technically anytime a finish fully cures, it's food safe, right? Right? That's what, That's they, what say. they say. But, you know, the, 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 the real answer is, would you eat off of it? You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. okay. Well, if you hesitate, then probably you want to think twice about it. In general, yeah. <clears throat> whenever I've made them, the most exotic I've gotten is Brazilian cherry because I had some flooring off cuts um, and that was fine. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would want to use teak because it's just so particularly oily and it's also quite expensive. For me, looking at Coco Below causes me to like sneeze. So <laughs> I just don't, <laughs> as much as I love the wood, I just don't like using it all that much because it is so, um, so skin irritating. And a lot of the rosewoods, because Coco Below is in the Delvergia genus, a lot of the rosewoods are the same. So, um, yeah, avoid a lot of those, but your mahoganies are fine. You know, just compose based upon the palette you want to go for. You know, you want that that whiter color, you can use a maple or a birch or something. If you want a red color, you can use mahogany, you know, or Brazilian cherry. And I have never had problems with walnut in the cutting boards that I've done. But again, I'm using so little walnut. So I think that's the other mm -hmm. key. Um, if you are concerned about a particular species of wood, don't make the entire cutting board out of that particular species of wood. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is you can really get a fairly wide color selection. You've got your, your bright whites, you've got your medium browns, you've got dark brown and you've got reddish colors and right. in woodworking that kind of is the whole color spectrum. <laughs> the only other thing right? Unless, that just occurred to me is like the porosity. Like I wouldn't want to make a cutting board out of yeah. oak. Because it's got big, huge pores, you know, unless you spend a lot of time like pore filling, that's just nooks and crannies for salmonella, <laughs> frankly. Now, now, hold up. You bring up a, a point that I really wanted to get to okay. here. 
And one of the things that like th- there's not enough Look, the, the stuff we're talking about here, there are scientific answers. And we're going like, I don't know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But it's like, if someone actually were to test these things, we could get answers. But I guess, you know, there's not that many articles, at least that I've been able to see, about how bacteria lives on wood. How I mean, I've, I've read maybe two of them. Um, and the articles that I have read about this talk about the fact that the the bacteria and the liquids can absorb into the wood, there is a natural antibacterial mm-hmm. element to the wood that if you compare plastic right. to wood, that worse. the plastic cutting boards tend to hold on to the bacteria longer and the bacteria can live longer on that surface. Uh, again, this is just a couple of things that I read. So let's say that's true. If that's true, then why would we not want a more porous wood that absorbs more stuff so that the the bacteria can go in and die, because water can I know also that's go kind of counter and stay in there and yeah you're bored too. But assuming it dries, okay, you know. Yes, but and for, for forgetting about the bacteria, I'm just thinking about you know every time I wash this thing, if I'm using a heavily porous wood, um, I'm causing excessive expansion and contraction across a matrix of cross grain nightmare. Yeah, um, you don't want it to be a sponge. Yeah, um, so if I, especially again. I keep saying ingrain because when I when I first started making cutting boards, it was all ingrain. In my you know, all anybody ever did was ingrain, and now we've started to see more base grain type stuff and the pizza peel idea. Um, People are getting smarter. Yeah, basically, <laughs> we we always heard, "Oh, it must be ingrain because ingrain is tough, and you can chop the crap out of it." But um, with a, a, a ring porous, large poured wood with that ingrain sticking up, it's going to soak up the wood. And it, that little block mm-hmm. of oak, which we'll is say oak, is going to expand more than the maple and the cherry or walnut that's around it. And over time, that could actually cause a problem. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Oh, sure. I'm not making Good any point. claims one way or the other. Um, so I'll let's make, talk I'll about make a claim ingrain. on that real quick. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Please do. Uh, in practice, at least in my test kitchen, it makes no difference <laughs> as far as the, p- the potential for the board cracking because it has a piece of oak in the middle of it. In Matt's, okay. in Matt's unofficial, non-scientific test kitchen, where all my cutting boards go for testing. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and I can see that point of view as well. Like, how much force is it actually exerting that one little block, you know, of oak? I think, I think as, as we get into, like, finishing, too, it uh, also depends on what kind of finish you're applying to it. Um, so like with mine, they're all, they're like, have a varnish finish. So that doesn't like wash out. So in theory, like the pores are full of finish. Yeah. You plugged in, it up in theory. Or am I wrong? Mm. No, no, not at all. No. I mean, that's the whole point. I don't know. I mean, what I can't tell if it's because Shan's like, Mike is so quiet or he's just not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just, he's just not saying anything. <laughs> you never know with him. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it comes <laughs> down to again size. You know, the the cutting board itself is not uh, that big. So the the yeah. board, the little piece of whatever you're using, you put varnish on it. It's going to soak in a fair distance. Um, and then if you apply varnish on both sides of the board, hopefully you're doing that. Um, it's probably <laughs> going all the way to the middle. Like it is, you know, varnish all the way through. So. Yeah, it can go straight you know, through. You, in fact, you usually see it weeping out the other side, right? When you apply that coat of varnish, and mm-hmm. when you flip it over, like whatever it's That's sitting on. So I know on, when it's time to flip. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, good. 
So look, we can't we can't go past this without talking about it because I think the three of us have come around just over the years to understanding how a varnish product could potentially be used on a cutting board and why someone would do that. But I think there's a lot of people listening who are probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. You do not use varnish <laughs> on a cutting board. Anything that's a film forming finish should not be used on a cutting surface, right? That's the conventional wisdom. Um, Which is true. So Matt, I, I mean, I know I did this way back in what year? 2007, maybe? I did a no, video on a cutting before board. Before I was born. <clears throat> before Matt was born. I think you were five years old, maybe. Just got out of kindergarten. You were so cute back then. Um, Still hairy. I, I did. <laughs> yeah. Very hairy child. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, I did, I did an ingrain cutting board and I kind of had this theory about why we want to use varnish on these boards, uh, to, to not totally completely make it impervious to moisture, but to really slow it down so that if you put a drop of water on there, it doesn't just disappear in a few seconds. The goal was not to produce a film. It was just to slow down the, the porosity or what, you know, Shannon was talking about with Oak things going right through it. The idea was to slow that, that process down, not completely stop it from happening. So that was the reason I started that, going along with the logic that, <clears throat> excuse me, any film finish when cured is food safe. I felt that that was a perfectly adequate way to finish a cutting board, especially an end grain cutting board where you're putting the thirstiest part of the board facing up, you know? <laughs> so can we do something about that to slow that down? That was my logic. Now you've, I know you've made a lot more cutting boards <clears throat> than I have over the years now um, using that method. Any, any backfiring from that? Any problems now, from doing that? Pro I haven't really been any problems, but I'll expand on my logic as why I like it more than mm -hmm. like a mineral oil type of thing. And that is uh, it's maintenance free. So when yeah. I was making cutting boards and selling them, I knew that my biggest uh, sales tool was word of mouth product in someone's home telling their friends about it. And I know people and if people are actually using these things, they ain't doing any kind of like maintenance on these things. So <laughs> I didn't want my product sitting in someone's house on display showrooming looking like crap because they didn't apply their conditioner to it for like three months or whatever. So with the varnishes, they look they don't you don't wash the finish out every single time you wash the board because it actually cures. So you can have these things looking good for years and years and years and you don't yeah. have to do anything to them. And I think that's a more attractive product for from a sales perspective and from like an actual like user standpoint of like, oh, I don't have to like remember to put oil on this thing all the time and it's always going to look good even if I forget. Mm -hmm. the, the original cutting board that I made again, 2007. So how many years? A lot of years. 13, <laughs> 13 years. 13 years. Uh, I retired that cutting board this year. And the funny thing is it still looked good just in terms of like its finished appearance. Mm -hmm. It still looked really good, but the wood movement just had, it kind of got the best of it. And there were too many cracks and, and points where the uh, things were lifting and it was just not a fun cutting board to use anymore. Um, but still it looked good. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. It definitely does something for the long-term appearance of a cutting board. So I want to talk a little bit about, about wood movement because I think that's one thing that people have an unpleasant surprise about when, when they're making these things is that end grain cutting boards can also be very prone to moving in really stupid ways <laughs> that, huh, right? Like I did everything right. I did everything perfect. All the glue joints are perfect. Good clamping pressure. And this cutting board went haywire and it constantly cups and it's like, well, it's an end grain cutting board. Sometimes it's an all bets are off sort of situation. I mean, have you found any, 
Have you done anything or with all the cutting boards you've made, have some kind of tried and true method that ensures every board will stay flat? Uh, so part of that goes with the actual like manufacturing process. Ship it and forget it. <clears throat> so I, I let them. What did you say, Shannon? Ship it and forget it. That's his tried and true oh, method. Just get it <laughs> out the door this. before it cups. <laughs> it's, their, it's your problem nope. now. <laughs> no returns, no refunds. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. So during the actual manufacturing process, you can take care of a lot of that by allowing the board to, to warp and do what it's wanting to do before you flatten it. So mm-hmm. you think okay. about when you're making a cutting board, you're taking a board that might have a moisture gradient in it. You're cutting it up in a bunch of pieces and like standing it up on end. So you've totally mixed up the whole moisture content of what's going on with that piece of wood. So giving it time to acclimate back to like somewhat of a normal standpoint before you actually flatten it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But you're also dumping a lot of moisture into it when you do all these glue ups, especially if you're going to do something like an end grain board where you have several multiple glue ups and you got like glue everywhere. That's a or lot. Hundreds in the case of your boards. I, I only did. I only iterated twice. You can, okay. you, you can keep going if you want to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the point is allowing the glue to fully cure and get that moisture back out of there and letting them sit for a bit so they can find their resting, I don't know, shape or whatever. And then, then go ahead and flatten it. And then you should have a lot, in theory, there should be a lot less chance of it actually cupping or warping over time. The other thing is, uh, at least with mine, they're full of varnish. Literally full. Right. So they're not really like sucking up moisture and changing a whole lot. So mine tend to stay very flat because they, uh, they're always sealed. Because they're more plastic than wood. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly why. And going back to that it's, bacteria It's plastic thing. with a wood wrapper. <laughs> now, now you feel right. the wood if plastic is worse. So, yeah. yeah so you, you heard it here. Don't buy about. Matt's cutting boards. They're bacteria infested. That's right. You can't even buy them anymore. Buy chairs buy them in auction. Only in charity auctions now. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing with finish. We talked a little bit about that. Classic uh, cutting board finish is mineral oil or mineral oil and wax. And uh, I'm kind of bullish on this. I think people should take the mineral oil and uh, keep it in the, you know, in the cabinet for when you need to go (laughs) and uh, use it as a laxative. I don't think it belongs on a cutting board. I think there are better ways to get that same food, like 100%, no doubt in your mind, food safe finish that can be reapplied as much or as little as you want. And that comes in the form of a polymerized oil. You know, something like tried and true uh, is a perfectly food safe, 100% safe, um, polymerized linseed oil. And that by, isn't by oil polymerized, that, you mean it cures? Well, it's heat treated and it will actually dry. Yes. So it, it unlike mineral oil, which always stays wet. So when I see someone, <clears throat> excuse me, do like a mineral oil bath <laughs> and this thing just gets loaded with mineral oil, <clears throat> excuse me, geez, it's a bad morning. Um, I know that that thing's going to just leach out oil like for a very long time, you know? So I would much rather fill that board with something that actually cures and isn't going to, you know, stay in a liquid form until it rubs off onto all the food. Well, you you also think about too, if it's not actually dried and it's on oil, if you wash it with soap, what are you doing to it? Making it go away. Yeah, we're just literally dissolving the finish yeah. and just washing it away. So you literally have yeah. to keep applying Your stuff. Your palm olive degreaser. Well, that's what I've discovered as well is the mineral oil finish. It actually, it looks great when you first apply it. And it doesn't look all yep. that hot like a week later. You know, and I think mm-hmm. the idea was, it was probably just, it's all a big conspiracy. The, the, the cutting board conglomerates 
said, well, you know, we could save money by just not applying finish. And it used to be you'd buy your wooden cutting board and it would come as raw, unfinished wood. And you apply mineral oil and everybody has mineral oil in the house. I guess they, I guess, I guess there were a lot more constipation problems in the fifties because everybody had mineral oil <laughs> in the house. Everybody was really stuck. The last up. time that I had to buy mineral oil, I couldn't find it at the grocery store. I had to wander around forever to find the stuff, but that's mm-hmm. a whole other issue. Um, the, the, so the idea was, is this was a household product that wasn't a finish, doesn't require any expertise. You literally just wipe it on and put it back in the kitchen cabinet, the, the mineral oil in the kitchen cabinet. And that was the, the idea, you know, the, the 1950s, the little, the little woman can still take care of it at home without the man's help. You know, that was the, literally you can, well, it's very hard for them to do things. Yeah. Shannon. You can look at like kitchen <laughs> advertisements and that's the actual language that's used. It's, it's not yeah. funny, but it's funny. <laughs> I mean, when you read that stuff, you're like, oh my God, that would never fly today. But so they didn't have to apply a finish because it was up to the consumer. It was up to the chef or the, the household owner, the lady of the house to apply that, that oil. And it looks terrible. Like <laughs> three hours later, you know, it's just, it's ugly. You yeah. know, it's just dull. And it does have any of that, that pop and glow that you get from like a varnish finish. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's a very popular way to go. There's nothing wrong with it in the sense of like safety. I mean, it does kind of work. People it does what it's it supposed too, to do. Cause it's so cheap. I think that's like, yeah, yeah. that's like another factor to it. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it's cheap. Well, and you do, you do a lot of these, you fill up a Rubbermaid tote or something with it. And then you just do the, the mineral oil bath. But I'm like, my gosh, there's so much, there's a better way folks. And it doesn't take that much oil. You know, it's, there's a much better way to is, do this. Is your cutting board um, leaving stains on your coffee table? Yeah. <laughs> you may have used too much <laughs> mineral oil. You have to put a doily under right. your, under your cutting board. Exactly. Yeah. This, this board is greasy. All right. <laughs> Uh, so let's uh, let's round this out with a little bit of uh, hand tool perspective. Oh, good Lord. How, how do you like making uh, end grain boards with those hand tools? Shen? Don't do it, people. Walk away. Have you done it? <laughs> have you actually done it, though? I have done it. Well, oh. like you, Matt, I went through a period where I was actually selling them. <laughs> I didn't make nearly as many as you did. Um, but I did the whole craft show circuit for a while. And cutting boards Oy. were crazy popular. Like they would sell out within the first five minutes of opening the, the show. And I always wished that I could make more, but even then I didn't like making them. They were just tedious. Um, well, but back I was, then, like how much of your shop was hand tool stuff then? Are you actually was, making those by hand? No, no, no. Hand, back or? then it was all power tools. Um, this was, okay. Thank Okay. Uh, this was before really <laughs> discovering the, the hand tool thing. So I was, you know, using the table saw and, and gasp everyone. I was running my ingrain cutting boards through a thickness planer because I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. And it blew out the edges and I just went and trimmed those edges off the table saw. It's still a method that works. You know, it's, it's belched on the edges yeah. and I cleaned it up with the table saw. But they sold so fast and I thought, I've got to keep making these things. Then I, you know, discovered the hand tool thing. I went out of the craft show thing and I, I went off down this little rabbit hole and I needed to make a cutting board as a gift for somebody. I had made a cutting board for uh, a, a relative years ago and they came to me and said, I want to give this to a colleague. Can you make one just like you made me? I'm like, okay, sure. This would be a fun hand tool challenge. It sucked. It just sucked. <laughs> you just think of the, the repetitive <laughs> well, table saw cuts. Um, 
You know, oh yeah. Every time you slice one of those little pieces off the the opening loaf, you know, and I was just making like a checkerboard pattern. I had you know glued up a bunch of long grain edges, varying widths, and then you cut them off in one inch segments and flip them in for in to make like a cut at the the checking board thing. But I had to make like thirty two cross cuts across this board, which is really Jeez. not that bad hand sawing. I mean, I enjoy hand sawing, but then. I had to go and clean up those hand sawed faces, yeah. ingrain hand sawed uh. faces. Um, <laughs> and that sucked. So, so then I said, okay, I want to make this an ingrain cutting board. I'm going to just skip cleaning the hand sawed ingrain faces. I'll rotate them 90 degrees to the ingrains up and I'll glue together the already planed um, face grain. Well, that was fine. But then I ended up with this ingrain cutting board that was not at all flat, like not even flush, you know, because I'd made handsaw cuts. And again, I consider myself to be a good hand sawyer, but there's deviation from one to the other. So it wasn't just like passing, you know, a light, <laughs> you know, just kiss it to clean it up. No, there was like an eighth of an inch here, a 16th there. Just, you know, there was no <laughs> easy way to go over it with a plane. You gotta discover that stop block. Come on. Uh, it, it was terrible. <laughs> the flattening of that cutting board with a jack plane Teaches you, it oh. taught me a lot about you planing ingrain, but I didn't need that. Taught you never to I do that. Need again. that lesson. I don't want that lesson. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it doesn't. Sound it was fun. it was awful. It was just terrible. Um, also, the fact <sighs> that like if all of your little laminations aren't you know precision cut at the table saw, so it's all the same length. When you glue it up on like a bar clamp, all the pieces rest on on the I beam of the of the parallel clamp. So then it actually accentuates the unevenness on the top face. So while it's kind of sort of oh, yeah. flush-ish on the bottom because it was <laughs> resting on, the, on the, the clamps themselves, it's even more uneven on the top. And it was less of a, of a flattening and evening and more of like full-on sculpting going on on the top. It, it was terrible. No. No. Sounds great. Let's never do Don't that. Don't do it. This is this is the hand tool guy telling you this is not a hand tool project. You know, this is not a project for you. Yeah. Don't do if it. You don't have a table saw. Oh, that's awesome. I wouldn't even try it with a bandsaw. Honestly, maybe a bandsaw would yeah. give me better results. But you know, put it this way: if you don't have a drum sander, I might do it if I had a drum sander. No, mm-hmm. bad. Yikes! Bad news. Well, you, do you guys know who also likes to help woodworkers with their cutting boards? Matt. No. No, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Send all of your cutting boards to Matt. He'll uh, finish them for I'll, you. I'll flatten them all for you. Yeah. Okay. Nope. <laughs> no, not Matt. It's Rockler. Oh, <sighs> okay. You guys. Much better. Coming. Rockler, Rockler has everything that you need to make a fantastic cutting board. They've got domestic and exotic lumber that they'll ship to your house, or you could take advantage of their curbside pickup option at all of their stores. They've got all kinds of clamps, including the Surefoot aluminum bar clamps and pipe clamps. And uh, guess what? The pipe clamps, they're on sale this month. They've also got a Bessie, Jet, Irwin, and Jorgensen parallel clamps. They've got food-safe glues and handy glue accessories, like their glue bottle that has a roller on the top and it fits on a Type-On bottle. Uh, glue brushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glue brushes, glue spreaders, the ones that you pull all the, you, they, like it dries and you can pull it off of the rubber thing, like picking a booger. It's great. Always satisfying. Uh, it is. Uh, they have a food safe cutting board finishes like general finishes products and walrus oil. Of course, I've got some walrus oil stuff in the house that works great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just imagine like, I don't know, juicing a walrus or something. You know? They, they don't appreciate it, but <laughs> you know, it's good oil. What are you going to do? Uh, they also have Mahoney's and I mentioned before 
polymerized oils. Well, Mahoney's, I believe, is a polymerized walnut oil. So it is a drying oil. That's something that, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, what's her name? You know, that, that chick that does the turning. What's her name? Why did I just forget her name? You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Ashley. <laughs> Jeez, guys, help me out here. Blaine, you hang. There's only one Much female turner to watch in the world. It's Ashley. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, she apparently uses this Mahoney's oil on all of her bowls, and uh, they come out looking great. So just go to rockler.com and you can see for yourself if you don't believe me. They've got everything from top to bottom. And you know I don't. Yeah, you do. You do. You always believe me. That's true. Uh, So go check it out. Everything you could possibly need to make a cutting board. Do they have a video on how the walrus is juiced? (laughs) You really don't want to see it? I'm just glad you didn't. It's really painful to watch. Have you ever heard a walrus scream because it's being oiled? (laughs) It's it's nothing you, you ever want to remember. You don't want that in your head. All right, so let's uh, let's jump into our kickback, and we've got a couple of well, we got an email, a couple of voicemails. We're going to do a lot of listening here. Um, Kevin's got some uh, kickback on COVID nineteen. Greetings unto the whispering wizard, the hand tool hero, and of course the Sultan of Slab. Hey, this is Kevin with K and K Woodworks here in Central <laughs> Illinois. On a recent Wood Talk episode, you asked how the COVID nineteen outbreak and various quarantine, stay-at-home orders that impacted woodworking shops. In my case, since it's really just me or sometimes my dad and I in the shop, we haven't had any issues with distancing. Delivery time for mail-order supplies has increased in some cases. I primarily make toys, puzzles, boxes, uh, small decorative items, and sell them through fairs, farmers markets, and the like. But with quarantines, of course, all those have been canceled. So my biggest problem isn't making things in the shop, it's selling them. Zero markets equals zero sales for the year. At least during these stay-home times, I've been able to go through a ton of videos from you three gentlemen, uh, Stumpy Nubs, Fisher Shop, and some of the other great woodworkers out there. So thanks for all you do, stay safe, uh, and of course, go Rockler! (laughs) I feel like we should all talk with a deeper voice now. Just, just you. Just me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Shannon, I think you got this one here on uh, some feedback on boat finishes. This guy talks like a pirate, and I thought you'd be the best. Yay. <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is... Um, uh, Uriah. I'm going to go with Uriah. Um, <clears throat> here we go. I get my Steve the Pirate voice going here. <laughs> so, you bunch of landlubbers. Where, that's Scottish. I don't know what that is. You landlubbers. Uh, Uh, (laughs) We were discussing marine varnishes late recently and asked for some feedback. Yeah, I have no idea where I'm going with this accent. Listening to (laughs) you. Why does it keep coming out Scottish? It's a Scottish Uh, pirate. I don't know. Uh, You think you're heading for a lee shore and soon will be aground. Scottish. I can't do it. You gotta talk like Mr. Krabs from Spongebob. Yeah, there you go. Get there. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll put in my thoughts and try to get you headed on the right tack. Some of the wood on a boat is sealed and some ain't. Sealing above the waterline is done with epoxy paint and spar varnish and below with anti-fouling paint. The bottom paint is always shedding a bit so as to keep marine growth from building up topside. That was a little Irish there. (laughs) Wood that gets regular use is left bare. 
Decorative areas are coated with UV blocking spar varnish. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's the perfect like pirate day joke, right? What varnish does a pirate use? Spar, spar varnish. Uh, now the whole reason for going over all her timber every year is so that all is needed is a fresh coat of varnish on her bright work to keep her shiny. This usually consists of the hatches, combings, bulwark, mast, boom, and bowsprit. It's unnecessary to strip her down yearly. As for the decks and railings, a simple scrubbing is all that's needed. As the saying goes, in six days, we do all the ship's work. And on the seventh, we hollystone the decks. Yeah! <laughs> I like pirates. Uh, that's awesome. It might, that may very well be the best email and the best reading of an email we've had on the show. Well done, Shane. All right, let's get to uh, Bass's voicemail. Hey guys, it's Bas here from Holland. I just heard the show about outdoor oils, and uh, here in Holland, uh, yeah, the hometown of Epiphanes, they have a product, it's called Hardhout Olivernis, which a uh, combination of teak oil and a lacquer. So it's uh, quite durable, it won't crack that easy. And on uh, oily woods like teak, uh, yeah, it, it will attach really good. So I don't know if there's something comparable in America, but maybe those kind of products will be uh, an outcome for people who yeah, want a protective and durable finish on their outdoor projects. I used a lot on outdoor tables or uh, on a boat. And it's it's quite durable, quite soft and rubbery. So I uh, love listening to you, long-time listener, and uh, have a nice day. Bye. Well, that sounds interesting if we can get our hands on it. We can remember what it's Sometimes about. Stuff like out of the country, like just as hard as it is for them to get the simple things we take for granted. Um, a lot of finishes we can't get here. Uh, all right. So we got one more regarding outdoor finishes. We talked about exterior 450, the water-based finish from general finishes. And I don't think any of us had much experience with it, but this is uh, some feedback from Zev. Uh, hey guys, a little kickback on the outdoor furniture, um, particularly the general finishes exterior 450. Um, made a table with Doug fir and cypress, got a lot of sunlight, used their stain on the interior part of it and the exterior part. I just did the 450, but I uh, put the 450 covering in the middle part as well. As you guys probably surmised, it failed within a year or so. Uh, left it to get real nasty for another year, then sanded it to bare wood and painted it, which as far as I'm concerned, is the best way to go for outdoor furniture. Shannon, you are correct. Or use teak, ePay, whatever. Paint is the best. Take care, guys. Hmm. Keep it up. May as well just buy something made out of plastic or metal. Then. Yeah. Hey, what sounds right. Why bother? <laughs> All right. Well, we always appreciate your voicemails and emails, folks. Uh, the easiest thing for us, voicemails. It's great. We love to hear your voice on the show. Um, so send those to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. And I think that's going to do it for us today. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finished supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or a cutting board, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. So visit rockler.com, use that code WOODTALK, and receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. Thank you, guys. Always, please send us your questions. Questions keeps the show going. That's what tells us what to talk about. So 
Send those questions. Go over to woodtalkshow.com. Fill out the form there. Um, hit us up on Instagram. You can find us there at woodtalkshow. Or you can send us voicemail. Record it on your fancy voice memo app and email that to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find us individually on Instagram at Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, or Renaissance Woodworker. And this week, we want to see your cutting boards. Actually, Matt really uh-huh. wants to see your cutting boards. Matt wants to can't get enough answer your questions about cutting boards, wants to offer cutting board advice. So I'm done making them again for at least four years. Right. So, so you know, he, I'll look at as many as you want me to look at now. He's already starting to have withdrawal because he's done making them. So inundate him with cutting boards. If you just yeah, and I'll make you a wood talk promise here. If you tag the show and show your cutting board, Matt will personally respond to each and every Absolutely. one. Absolutely, I'll do that. That's fine. That's that's how we do it. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Put your cutting board photos, selfies, whatever you want to call them, and tag them with hashtag woodtalk470. Cutting board selfie. (laughs) Cutting board selfies. It's a new thing. Yeah, you've got got to get your face in with it. That's fantastic. Or send a cutting board and Matt will send it back to you with a cutting board selfie. There we go. We'll just Photoshop (laughs) Matt's faces on it. That's good. Okay, good stuff. All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Go Rockler! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.